celebrated, Mary Jo and I celebrated our 12th year, 12 year anniversary. And I know some of you are rolling your eyes like, when you get started, let me know. Like whenever I see somebody with their one month anniversary on Facebook, I'm like, okay, when you get started, let me know. Uh, but that's where we're at. That's where we are. Uh, and uh, we were in Virginia for, for when, our, when we celebrated our anniversary, visiting family. And so we took advantage of that. And Mary Jo and I uh, went out to uh, the Kennedy Center there in Washington, D.C. and uh, watched The King and I, which I would recommend. It was a great time. And then we went afterwards, got some dessert, and then got home late like life used to be before we had kids. And uh, had a great time with that. It was awesome. We had a blast. And, uh, Mary Jo was tired, and so we got back to, to my parents' house, and her head hit the pillow, and about three seconds later, she was gone, out, sleeping. And I uh, was wired, just, you know, I was wired, had a great time, and uh, so I lay down on the pillow, and I was just looking up at the ceiling, and I began to think how much life has changed in 12 years. I mean, we have a son and a daughter, and Seeing them grow, and uh, we live in Webb City, Missouri. I wouldn't have even known where Webb City was on a map 12 years ago, and yet now we, we call that home. And uh, just life has changed so much. I thought I knew all about life. Um, I, I thought I had it mastered. Um, I, I found out really fast that that wasn't the case. Like I was a mess. I, I, when we got married, uh, four of the five previous years, I had lived with guys. And uh, so I just thought, you know what? I know, I know how life works. I've lived with people before. I, I got this figured out, and I learned very quickly that living with guys is not the same as being married to a lady. Like, it, it just didn't work. Uh, for example, um, I lived with four guys. It was myself and three others. And one of the guys in, in, our, in the house that we lived in while I was in college, he um, would eat off of the, the, the silverware that we had. And then he would put it in the, in the sink and just leave it there. And then the next meal, he would go get a new plate. Clean plate, eat on that, and then um, uh, put it in the sink, and then just leave it there. Everybody else in the house ate on paper plates. That's how we knew it was this one guy. And uh, we kept saying, buddy, dude, you've got to clean your dishes. And he would say, stop, get off my back, leave me alone. And uh, he would go through every dish in the house, and then he would just take the, the top plate, wash it, eat it for dinner, and then put it back on top. Like, it drove us nuts. And it started to make the house stink. And, 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 um, and so I did what any uh, selfless person would do. I took all the dishes in the sink. I opened up the window, and I put as many dishes in there between the screen and the window as I could. I closed the window, and then I moved to the next window. And I worked my way all the way around the house and, until every single piece of silverware in the house was outside of the house. It wouldn't stink anymore. And I just thought that's the way life worked. I mean, that's the way we rolled for four years. It was good. I was good with that. And, and the house that we lived in was terrible. My mom and dad never saw the house that we lived in um, until the end of, of the last year that I lived in it. And um, she walked up and she, and my mom said, Scott, you lived here? And I said, yeah, what's wrong with it? What's the problem? She goes, I wouldn't let our dog live here. <laughs> I, mean, I just thought that's the way you rolled with life. Like, I, that's what, that was normal life for me. And then I, and I figured that would translate, like the things that I had learned living with these guys would translate into marriage. And I learned very quickly, like that's not how you define selfless in marriage. Like that's just not how it works. And uh, so I, I, Mary Jo, if she were in here, she would back you up, back this statement up. For both of us, um, the first couple years of marriage were very, very difficult. 
Uh, like, I, if you had asked me, I would have said it like this. But if you had asked me, I would have said, I'm one of the most selfless people you know. Like, I'm just telling you, I'm an easy guy to get along with. I'll, I'll put other people before myself. And not only that, I, I'm humble too, and I'm proud of my humility. Like, I would have said it like that, but that's how I, I really, really thought that. Like, I was, I, if I, you saw my heart, saw my mind, that's what I thought about myself. And I learned very, very quickly that it's, it wasn't true. And, and God, in his mercy and his grace, gave me a tool. Gave me a tool. And her name was Mary Jo. And we entered into this relationship called marriage. And, and if you think about it like a rock. Uh, she had her jagged edges that, that didn't look like Christ. And I had my jagged edges that didn't look like Christ. And we were put into this, this compressed relationship. Uh, this friction that, uh, called marriage. And we began to, to wear on each other. And the jagged edges of our life have slowly but surely begun to chip away and chip off. And so I can say with confidence that today I look more like Jesus. Although I'm not there yet. Just ask her. I look more like Jesus today than I did 12 years ago in ways that I did not even know about. And it was because of God's grace and his love for me that that's happened. In the exact same way, in the exact same way, whether you're married or you're single, you're a widow or you're a widower, you've been abandoned or you have done the abandoning. I don't care where you are in life in the exact same way. That is the plan for the church in your life as well. In this journey known as life, God has brought you into a family. If you call Wellspring home this morning, he has brought you into a faith family. And the plan is not that you would simply come on Sunday morning, sit in a pew, hear God's word, and then walk out. No, his plan for you, if you call Wellspring home this morning, is that you would live life together with other people who love him. And, and you would invite people into your life so that when jagged edges known as sin are, are seen in your life, that they would, there would be people who have access to point it out and those jagged edges would be removed. You have been invited into a faith family, a community of believers, so that you would look more like Jesus at the end of this journey than you do right now. The question is, are there people in your life that have the ability to speak that truth to you without, without jeopardizing the friendship? Are there people in your life that have been invited by you into your life to speak truth, to encourage you in the dark days without jeopardizing your friendship. The writer of Hebrews says you dare not walk through this life without relationships like that. So if you have your Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 19 is where we're going to be. We're going to go through verse 25. And the writer of Hebrews says that when you're a part of a faith family, when you're a part of a community of believers, you're a part of a church, you, part of being involved, part of being, uh, 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 being uh, a piece of the body is that you invite people to, to, to be, to, uh, to live uh, in proximity to you, to be a part of your life. You invite people to live close to you so that when they see ungodliness, they speak truth into it. 
When they see, see that you're going through a difficult time, that they come alongside, they encourage. Part of being a, uh, uh, a part of a, of a church body means that relationships like that are true for you. Chapter 19, or chapter 10, verse 19, we see this truth fleshed out. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean by an evil conscience and our bodies washed, pure, washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, we don't know, but who, uh, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that you and I, if you know Christ this morning, have access into the presence of God. Through the blood of Christ, through the work of Jesus on the cross, you and I have the Holy Spirit living in us and working around us. We have access into the presence of God. Now, when you and I read that, we kind of yawn a little bit and go, okay, tell me something new. But in the Old Testament, this would have been revolutionary. This is a paradigm shift. In the Old Testament, you see this, this um, cycle of life where they have God's uh, blessing, they, they have abundance, then they fall into sin, and then they're, they're punished, and then there's repentance, and then you see abundance, they fall into sin, and then there's repentance, uh, and or there's uh, uh, punishment, then there's repentance, and then there's abundance. You see this over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And the reason is, they did not have the Holy Spirit. They did not have the presence of God in their lives. The presence of God in our lives is essential. It, 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 the, it's essential for life. The presence of God is essential for us. It is what prompts us when we're sinning. It's what, it's what pricks our heart when we're sinning. It is what gives us hope on the dark days of this life. It's what gives us peace when we go to the doctor and we get a bad report. The Holy Spirit is essential for life. The presence of God in our life is essential. It's primary in our walk with Christ. And it says in here, in, in, in Hebrews, that we have access to the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross by the blood. And he gives us this great picture that the veil was torn. We're welcome into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year. Now you and I, regular old people, can access the presence of God. When I hear that, my response is, okay, what does that look like practically then in my life? How do I access the access? Of God's presence. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in the very next verse. He says you have access uh, to, the whole, uh, to, to the presence of God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. You have access there. Now let me tell you what that looks like practically in your life. In verse 24 he tells us. Stir one another up to love and good works. So what the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling us is. You have access into the presence of God. And practically that looks like living life in community with other believers. 
You want to know what, what the presence of God in your life looks like? It looks like when you, um, when, when you or your spouse has surgery and you spend the day or, or a couple days in the hospital and you come home in the afternoon, uh, on Tuesday afternoon, um, after that surgery has been performed, the presence of God in your life looks like somebody from your church showing up and saying, here's a meal or here's a, a gift card. Go get something to eat. That's what the presence of God looks like in your life. You know what the presence of God looks like in your life? When you get, get um, home from work and you have to tell your spouse that you've been laid off because of cutbacks and somebody from your church shows up and says, I heard the news and I love you and I want to take you out to eat tonight because I, the, I, I know I've been there before. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. You know what the presence of God looks like in your life? It looks like when you're sick and you have little kids running around, somebody from church calling up and saying, you know what? I heard you're sick. I want to watch your kids this afternoon. Why are you taking that? That's what the presence of God in our lives looks like, practically fleshed out as we live this life. And the writer of Hebrews says, you dare not walk through this life without somebody like that. You know what the presence of God in our life looks like? It looks like a loving man coming up to me and saying, hey, Scott, you've been talking about that lady from work quite a lot. I'm a little bit worried about where that, that relationship's headed. You better cut it out. You know what the presence of God in your life looks like? It looks like a lady walking up to, to another lady and going, Hey, you talked about going to lunch with that man from work. I'm worried about what direction that relationship's headed. You better cut it out. It's only because I love you. And I'm not worried about our relationship. I'm not jeopardizing that. You've already invited me into your life. You better cut that relationship out. I'm worried where it's headed. The writer of Hebrews says that we have access into the presence of God based on the work of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his perfect blood. And the way that that is practically lived out is in community with other believers. He goes, verse 24, he said, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I think this is a cool way to explain this. He doesn't, the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say, stir one another up to, to love and good works. No, he says, let us consider. Let us consider. In other words, think about the friends that you have invited into your life. Think about the people that are around you. I want you to consider them. Think about them. I want you to, to, to think about how they're wired. Think about uh, the way that God is working in their life. And then um, consider, think about, uh, figure out, try to figure out what is the best way to spur them towards godliness. Think about the person that's in your life. Think about your best friend. Think about the people that are in your community group. Think about the people that are in your home group uh, that, that you've invited into your life. I want you to think about them. Have them on your mind. When you're spurring them on, encouraging them towards godliness, and think about them, figure out, based on your relationship, what's the, the best way to spur them towards godliness. This is, this is done in the context of relationship, in the context of community. Consider. Let us consider how to stir one another up. That word stir means to irritate one another. It means to irritate fleshed out, it means are there people in your life that can confront you towards godliness? I want you to irritate people towards godliness. I want you to think about the people, consider about, consider the people that you're in a relationship with, 
And then stir them up, consider, uh, uh, irritate them towards godliness. When you see that they're headed in the wrong direction, when you see sin creeping into their life, when you see that they're not um, uh, uh, treating their spouse, their wife, or their husband um, in a way that would honor and glorify the, uh, the, the uh, Christ, that you step into that, consider that, and then irritate them towards godliness. He doesn't stop there. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Now most of the time this is where the pastor would go, okay, you got to be at church on Sunday morning. And there's an aspect of that here. Like when you're not here, the body of Christ misses, misses you. Your, your giftings are, are missed when you don't show up. But it's, it's deeper than that. The, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the only way that these relationships that I'm talking about happen. The only way that you, you, you begin to, to, to form relationships where you can irritate each other towards godliness is to be around each other every day or, or every week. Regularly meeting with people that you've invited into your life so that they have access to know what's going on in your world. Don't neglect to meet together with people who are like that. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That, that, that phrase, encouraging one another, is exactly the opposite of stirring one another up to loving good works. Stirring one another up to loving good works is irritating one another. But encouraging one another means coming alongside and, and, and spurring them on, being a cheerleader in their life. Say, you can do it. You can finish this course well. You can finish this life well. I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to step in and, and, and watch your kids when it's necessary. I'm going to cheer you on towards godliness. Let's be honest. There are some churches that are really good at irritating. There are some people that are really good at irritating. But they are terrible at encouraging. There are some home groups that are good at irritating. But they're terrible at encouraging. And there are some churches that are good at encouraging, but when they see sin in somebody's life, they don't step into that and irritate or stir one another up. There are some home groups, there are some people that are good at encouraging, but they are, they're terrible at stepping into sin and calling it for what it is, stirring one another up. And the writer of Hebrews says you dare not miss out on either side. we got to be both. We, we, we have to, when we see sin in somebody's life, and the loving thing is to step into that and to call it what it is. But that's only done in the context of a relationship. That's the only way that you and I hear that well, if we hear it well at all. But we also have to be a church. You also have to be people that invite people into your life to encourage you when you need encouragement. It's, it's a, it's a two-way street. We, we have people that are, that are stepping into our lives, they, that, that, that are calling sin what it is in our life. But we also have people that are encouraging us when we need it. When I, when I was reading this, the thing that came to mind was the, the picture of a coach. A coach of a team. Every single coach worth their salt would say that there are some players, there are some people that I have to just step into them. I get in their face, I yell, and that gets them to be the best athlete that they can be. The best performer in that particular sport, whatever it is, that they can be. But there are some people, if I do that to them, they shut down completely. They will not perform to the best of their ability. And so I have to encourage them. I have to, to, to use positive reinforcement with them. 
And it spurs them, it encourages them, it propels them to be the best athlete that they can be. The writer of Hebrews says that we need both in our lives. And here's the thing. Culture, our culture says the exact opposite. Our culture says that, that, that we're autonomous, that we're isolated, we've earned the right to do that, we have a job that allows that to happen. We don't need people in our lives. And so this truth that is found in the scriptures is pushing upstream against our culture. You don't need somebody to stir you up to love and good works. You can do that yourself. You don't need somebody to encourage you. You're, you're a self-made man. You're a self-made woman. That's what our culture tells us over and over and over again. And then you come across this text in the scripture that says, no, 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 no. Swim against culture. Go against culture. You dare not live this life without relationships like that. He closes it out. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the question is, does that happen in here on Sunday mornings? It doesn't. You don't build relationships like that. On Sunday mornings, when you hang out for 10 or 15 minutes, come in here, sing songs, lift up the name of Jesus, hear God's word, and then leave. And yet, the Bible tells us that you dare not go, uh, live this life. You dare not go through life without relationships like that. You dare not work your way through this life without inviting people into your world to step into you when necessary and encourage you when you need it. You dare not live life without relationships. And yet, in the context of Sunday morning, it just doesn't happen. And that is why we regularly encourage you to be a part of the group. I know there's some people in, in, in our church that say, yeah, we already naturally have relationships like that. I, I cheer you on. Continue to build those relationships. Have a group like that with people that you've invited into your life, friends that you trust. But the natural current of our culture pushes the opposite direction, which is why I regularly stand up here and go, no, push against culture, swim against culture, run against culture, invite people into your life that will speak truth to you. And so if you already have it, keep living life in those relationships. But if you don't, as most of us naturally move towards, nat naturally gravitate towards, I would encourage you. Beg you if it would help. Get into a group where relationships like this can form over time. Because the writer of Hebrews says, we dare not live life without them. A couple years ago, we were in a group. I was in a group with uh, uh, several people. And, and there was a, a couple in the group named Steve and Lynn Stepanek. And Lynn worked in, with Missouri Baptist Children's Home in foster care. And um, there was a, a young guy, about 25, 26 years old. His name was Ryan Roth. And he was in the, the uh, I tried to get them to tell their story, but the, the, the timing just didn't work out uh, through doing it on a video. So they gave me permission to tell it for him. Uh, Lynn was, was uh, we were in this group uh, meeting together every week. And Lynn was working in foster care through Missouri Baptist Children's Home. And Ryan um, was interested in working with foster care. And he was working in a different segment of, of social work, but um, Lynn could see his passion for, for, uh, for foster care. 
and for foster kids and, and seeing them in, in homes that were stable, that sort of thing. And so she went to Ryan after this relationship had grown. Lynn's a grandma, and, and Ryan's 25, and so there was this kind of uh, uh, just kind of looking out for Ryan, encouraging him towards godliness. And she said, hey, Ryan, you should come work with me at, at Missouri Baptist Children's Home in foster care. I see you have a passion for it. I see God's wired you for it. I think you should be a part of it. And he said, no, not interested. She, the next week, she says, Ryan, I'm telling you, God has wired you to, to advocate for foster care kids. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, great uh, calling. You should, you should pursue it. And he said, you know what? I will. I'll at least apply. We'll just see what happens. He got the job, and they, for a couple years, they both were social workers um, uh, looking out for their, for their uh, group of kids, making sure that they were well taken care of, and placing them in foster care homes until they were adopted or reunited, whatever the law uh, mandated in those particular situations. Well, fast forward a couple years. Lee, Lynn and Steve moved down to Arkansas where Steve um, is pursuing ministry. And uh, through long set of events, uh, Lynn is given uh, the privilege of starting for the very first time in the history of the state of Arkansas a faith-based um, uh, foster care program. Uh, based on her background, she was hired and she writes the, the bylaws, writes the Constitution, and secures a contract through the state of Arkansas for the very first time in the history of the state, um, a faith-based uh, foster care program. And she gets that off the ground and running. And she calls Ryan, whom she had recruited to Missouri Baptist Children's Home. Uh, she calls him and says, hey, I want you to move down to Arkansas and help me get this faith-based uh, program off the ground so that kids can be can grow up in, in a foster care program and, and uh, with with faith as the foundation. These parents that love Jesus invite these kids into their home. We I want you to be a part. Help me get this off the ground so that we can do it well. And a couple months ago, Ryan moved down to Arkansas. Got a new job with Arkansas Baptist Children's Home down there. Partnered with Lynn Stepanek. And they are getting this faith-based program off the ground for the very first time in the history of the state. And that started in a group at Wellspring Church. That's what it looks like to stir one another up to love and good works. And the writer of Hebrews says, you dare not walk through this life without relationships like that. This morning in your worship guide, there's, a, there's a, some information about the home groups that we have. And there's a, a card in there. If you don't have relationships like this, I would encourage you to be a part of group. Just try it out. If it's not for you, that's fine. Just try it out. Because the writer of Hebrews says it's imperative for this life. To have people that care about you, that will walk with you, that will encourage you, that will stir you up, irritate you to love and good works. If you don't have relationships like that, I would encourage you, fill that card out in there, in your worship guide. Throw it in the offering plate and somebody this week will contact you. We're gonna, we, we took off August with our groups. We're going to ramp those up the first week in September. I know that's Labor Day weekend, but we're going to start them back that week. For those that are able, don't live this life without relationships like that. Somebody a lot wiser than me said it. Somebody under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer 
of Hebrews. Don't live life without it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us relationships, people that love us, that are invited into our life, that will stir us up, encourage us when necessary to love and good works. I pray that every single person in this room, whether they're a visitor or they call Wellspring home, would have relationships like that, that they can lean on, that they can trust, that encourage them when life's difficulties come their way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.